One of the hazards of preaching is the way life can sometimes outrun your sermons. You plan a sermon, you work on it, you write it out, and then the ground shifts under your feet and suddenly it all seems off key. And sometimes you try to forge ahead anyway and you trust that the Spirit will make all sorts of unexpected connections, but sometimes you just have to tear up the old sermon and let things go in a new direction, and that's what I'm doing today. You all have shared your lives with me, so I'm going to share something going on in my life with you. Uh, Last week, uh, my sister had an accident, and the accident left her in very serious condition, uh, and the implications for her life going forward are, you know, for uh, mobility and quality of life are quite serious right now. I do welcome your prayers for her. Her name is Holly, and prayers for my family in the days ahead. In our Wednesday night Bible study, uh, before I got the message about my sister, we had just talked about the seasons of life, how sometimes you enter a season of disorientation, a season of grief and loss where all the old certainties of life fall away. And I mentioned more than once in that conversation my belief that it is not God that leads us into these seasons of disorientation, that God is not pulling all the strings of life, causing car crashes and cancers and people to fall off roofs. I want to think more about that with you today. And so with apologies to Abraham, we will come back to his story, I promise. I'm going to read a different text, a very familiar text from Romans 8. So this is Romans 8, 26 through 39. Let's listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good, For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
You remember back during the height of the pandemic when we were all sheltering in place. And one memory I have from that time is the excessive number of walks I took with my dog, Mo, you know, just to have some reason to get out of the house. And I remember as we walked around the neighborhood, we saw all of these brightly colored signs painted. They were pasted on telephone poles and they had inspirational messages on them. They said things like, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. One day this will end. Everything's going to be okay. Happy thoughts. Some rogue artist was putting them up to lift our spirits during the lockdown. And you know, when I'm walking around outside and the sun is warm on my face and the birds are chirping and my dog is chasing some scent and I think about my family and all of the privileges we enjoy, sometimes it's easy to have happy thoughts, easy to believe that everything's going to be okay. But is that true? Is everything going to be okay? Not just for me, not just for me in my little bubble, but for everyone. Is everything going to be okay for my sister? Is everything going to be okay for countless others who are wandering through the wilderness right now? Sometimes it's hard to know the difference between faithful hope and wishful thinking. Countless people have been comforted by Paul's promise in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. None of these things, and that covers pretty much the whole of existence, not one has the power to separate us from the love of God. That is good news. But is it true? Or is it just another brightly colored sign that says, happy thoughts? There's another one of those signs in this text, a verse that has brought comfort to countless suffering people and world-weary souls through the centuries, but has also probably tormented more than a few. It's this in verse 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. All things work together for good for those who love God. All things? All things? It doesn't always feel that way, does it? What could that even mean? Maybe it's easier to say what it can't mean. It can't mean everything in life will always work out the way we like it to. We know that. It can't mean a life free from suffering. Loving God far from giving us a pass on suffering actually seems to draw us deeper into it. I also don't think it can mean, and, and I know some of you will disagree with me here, and that's okay. We don't have to think alike to be in community with each other. But I don't think it means that everything happens for a reason that God is pulling all the strings in life as part of some divine master plan. I've seen too much in my life, and I suspect some of you have too. Stared into the darkness too many times, sat with people whose losses were not deserved in any just arrangement of the world. There are things that happen, and I can't imagine any reason, divine or otherwise, that could ever justify them or could ever make them okay. And you know, in the face of tragedy, 
even if there were some grand divine reason, would knowing it or knowing that it's there make any difference? Frederick Buechner talking about the story of Job in the Bible and the, the senselessness of Job's losses said this, suppose that God did explain, suppose that God were to say to Job that the reason the cattle were stolen, the crops ruined, and the children lost was thus and so, spelling everything out right down to and including the case of boils. Job would have his explanation, and then what? Understanding in terms of the divine economy why his children had to die, Job would still have to face their empty chairs at breakfast every morning. Carrying in his pocket, straight from the horse's mouth, a complete theological justification of his boils, he would still have to scratch and burn. There are things that just happen, and no explanation, no hidden reason justifies them. All things work together for good for those who love God. Maybe that doesn't mean everything always turns out good or that everything has some reason. Maybe instead the promise is tied to what Paul says at the end of the chapter, the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Maybe all things work together for good because all things are caught up in the love of God. Good here doesn't mean everything turns out how we wish or has some divine justification. It's just a promise of divine presence here and now. To be good is to be caught up in the love of God, even or especially in the wilderness. And here's what keeps this from being just another brightly colored sign that says happy thoughts we already know this. We've experienced this love of God, and it's not found only or even primarily in church. As the poet says, Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his. The love of God has come to us in 10,000 guises, in the surging music that sends a shiver down your spine, and the sun warm on your face, and the birds chirping, and the dog sniffing along, and the brightly colored signs that remind us we're not alone. The love of God is not some happy thought. It is all around us in our bones and in our breath and in the beauty that shimmers all along the surface of things in ordinary moments of warmth and kindness as we create and love and worship and work. The love of God is not a slogan or a sign. It is the world in which we live and move and have our being. I have a seashell that sits on my desk. It was given to me by a friend, and she got it when she was chaperoning a group of high schoolers on a trip through Northern Ireland and Scotland, and she was on the coast of Northern Ireland one afternoon, walking along the water's edge, when out of nowhere she heard a, a tiny voice saying, look, look. A little startled, she looked around, scanning the horizon and didn't see anything, and then she heard the voice again and realized it was just below her a little girl who couldn't have been more than four years old. Her jeans were wet from the ocean and the weight of the water caused them to sag, so she looked a little like the copper tone girl. Her hands were full of seashells. She looked up and said, look, Christ wrote his name everywhere so we can remember him. And she handed my friend a fistful of seashells and then ran off 
to share her joy with the next unsuspecting person on the beach. That seashell sits on my desk as a reminder. What makes it good? Does it have Christ's name written within it? Is it the movement of the ocean that shaped it? Is it the little girl's exuberant joy? Is it my friend's shining spirit? Call it whatever you will. It's the love of God. And we are all caught up in it. And maybe that's what it means to say that all things work together for good. And so we're left where we started in the midst of life's triumphs and tragedies, life's joys and pain. We still don't know why things happen as they do or if there is some reason for everything, but we live and move and have our being in the love of God. The simple truth of God's presence remains. Let me end with these words from Frederick Buechner. In his words, God says to us, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. We don't have answers, but we do have presence. We do have love, and sometimes only just, it is enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.